You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Psalm 43, beginning in verse 1. Psalmist says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation in my God. This is the Word of God, the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, Lord, we come before you this morning asking that you would come and, and speak to us and that you would do a supernatural transformative work inside of us as you speak. But I was reminded yesterday um, from a really unlikely source that all of life is war. All of life is war. So here we press pause in the midst of this life that oftentimes does feel like war. And we ask God that you would um, lead a charge into the deepest recesses of our hearts. Find places where we have been longing for things that you and you alone are able to deliver. Pray that you would help us to rest our hope at the foot of the cross this morning. Trust that you will do this work. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. There's going to be one slide on the screen. Um, I don't have any other slides. This is it. Those words that you see on the screen, vindication, protection, deliverance, shelter, friendship, joy, rescue. Uh, you're going to hear those words coming up over and over and over again this morning. Because they're words that are kind of straight from the text. Um, my hope is that God would use some of those words to drill into and draw out of you some places where you have been longing for Him to show up. So we'll begin with some questions. Kind of diagnostic questions for us, uh, based around those words. And uh, when you hear the question that's you, maybe you make a note of it. Maybe all of you go, all those questions are me. Here's the questions. When was the last time you longed for or desired to be vindicated or declared innocent? Maybe you feel guilty about something, walked around in shame and guilt, and you just long to be clean. When was the last time you longed for protection from something or someone? Or when was the last time that you longed for full deliverance, to be delivered from something that has been afflicting you? It could be an emotional thing, psychological thing, physical thing, spiritual thing. When was the last time that you found yourself seeking shelter from all that is unholy in this world or all that is unholy within you? 
looking for shelter, a place to hide from those things that afflict you? When was the last time you found yourself sad or depressed, cast down in turmoil, as the text says, maybe because of a broken friendship or a relationship? Maybe you just simply were longing for a friendship or a relationship that would not be broken by the effects of Satan's sin or death. When, when was the last time you, you felt that kind of anguish over friendship? And you longed for a friendship that would stand the test of time. But when was the last time that you felt an overwhelming sense of true joy? And not just momentary happiness, but true, deep, abiding joy that sustained through the difficulties and the hardship. And when was the last time you cried out to God to rescue you from something? The oppression of the enemy, fear of death, or the grip of sin. Cried out and said, God, please save me. Please rescue me from this. I begin with those questions because I think that these are the literal heart cries of our psalmist today in Psalm 43. He's longing to be vindicated, longing to be protected, to be delivered, sheltered, befriended, filled with joy, rescued. When you study Psalm 43, and if you do a little bit of background study, you look at some of the commentaries out there, most scholars and believe that Psalm 43 is actually part of Psalm 42. Um, they, they kind of believe that it's actually one psalm. And some of the reasons why that probably don't matter to us, but maybe it's just helpful. Um, they believe this because Psalm 43 does lack a, like a note of who the author is. Um, and, and, and there's not like, not like all the psalms have the author's note anyways, but this one does lack that right on the heels of Psalm 42. And as you study the structure of the language in Psalm 42, you'll see that there's some similar language being used from what we studied last week, right? Last week we saw a psalmist, a person whose heart was in absolute conflict, agony within him, kind of just continue to go back and forth between, these are my problems, but I can hope in God. These are my problems, but I can hope in God. And he was in conflict. He just, it seemed like he almost couldn't stay rooted there. And we know what that feels like, right? Where you kind of waver back and forth. So it kind of has some of that uh, like linguistic structure. And, and Psalm 43 is very similar in structure, but also the final verse of Psalm 43 is literally in language an exact carbon copy of Psalm 42, verses 5 and 11. So because of those things, most scholars think it's actually one psalm. Um, but in our Bibles, it's been split in two, and, um, and it's okay. But there, there is a central thread throughout both of them that is exactly the same. The central thread that these two psalms are deeply rooted in is, is in our um, desperate need for hope, right? It's our desperate need for hope amidst the darkness of oppression and suffering. And so with all of that kind of in our minds real quick, I throw all that out there just to simply say we could have dealt with it in one week, but I felt like it was really important for us to deal with each psalm separately so that we could actually hone in on some different aspects of our search for true hope. I thought about this quite a bit this week, and I, 
I thought, you know, it's providential, I think, of the Lord um, to have had us have these broken up like this in our Bibles so that we could spend two weeks thinking about and dialoguing about and just chopping up hope. Hope is so vital. Talked about that last week. Talked about how important hope is for us as broken humans as we're navigating our way through this broken world, right? You might remember how we talked about hope as being absolutely vital to our existence. A hope is a thing that gets us through the chaos of difficulty. A hope, I said last week, is the essence of the promise of better days, right? You're looking ahead and you're going, it's going to get better. Hope is the dream of a better future. It's like a refreshing drink of water to a soul that's been dehydrated by the sudden onset of great difficulty. Now, I would also add this week that hope is like a sliver of light that gets us through some of the darkest moments in our lives. Also like this, this tiny little ounce of truth that, that works to dispel the confusion of the dark seasons that we often walk through. You know what that's like to walk through a dark season? You know what that's like to experience the confusion that accompanies those dark seasons? There are times in this world, I think, when, when, when the dark storm clouds of suffering and, and, and oppression and, and hardship and, and difficulty can just overtake us. And it can feel like It can feel like there's no end in sight, like it's never going to end, like the the dark room is never going to light up, like the confusion is never going to get dispelled. In those seasons, sometimes it feels like the, the clear blue skies of sunny days are like a distant fog, like the mushroom clouds of enemies' bombs are erupting all around us. Think about this in, in, in just the blink of an eye. And I'm sure you guys know this. We've all lived life long enough, even for some of the youngest of us in this room. We know that in the blink of an eye, like, the marriage can go on tilt. The, the health issue can become deadly. That friend that you've had for a long time can turn against you. The abuse from the past can just come back in one fell swoop and completely overwhelm you. The bottom can drop out of your job security. The beloved family member can become a a bitter enemy. The sin pattern that you once enjoyed victory over can just come rushing back in with triple the force that it had before. The fear, the anxiety, the shame, the guilt, the anger, the depression, the sense of worthlessness... All of these things can overtake you in a blink of an eye and can leave you feeling like you're wandering around in the darkness. You you experienced some of those days, seasons lately? You know what that's like? These are dark days that I've just described. And, And they're days where you and I will need to find hope in the midst of that darkness to get through it. Those are days when we're going to long for things like vindication, to be declared not guilty. For full protection, deliverance, shelter, friendship, joy, 
salvation, rescue. And the only way to persevere through the hardship that, that our enemies, Satan, sin, and death, the only way to persevere through that, what they throw at us, is to have light in the darkness. Because light dispels the darkness. We need to have truth. We need to have truth amidst that darkness to dispel the confusion. And this is exactly what our psalmist is longing for. He's searching for hope in the darkness of the opposition that he's facing. He, he knows that the light and the truth of God's presence, they, those are the only things that are going to provide the hope he needs to get to the other side and back into the clear blue skies of sunnier days. To notice with me for a few minutes the rhythms of the psalmist's heart as he searches for hope in the darkness. You look at verse 1. What's our psalmist doing there? Verse 1, the psalmist is crying out to God for, to, for vindication, right? He's crying out to God to vindicate or to prove him blameless. To defend him from the attacks of his enemies. To deliver him from evil people and, and liars who don't care about what's right or wrong. But when you and I are searching for hope amidst the darkness and the confusion of the enemy's attacks, what we're often longing for in those moments is the kind of hope that promises full vindication, full protection, full deliverance. We don't want it in halves. Look at verse 2. Our psalmist confesses his faith in God. He confesses his faith in God as the one whom he finds shelter in. The one whom he hides behind when bullies are trying to intimidate him. But at the same time, he also confesses in verse 2 just how alone and abandoned he feels. And how depressed he is because of his enemies' continued attacks. Now, you and I have to remember that our faith becomes the most real, I think, when we're at our lowest and when we're at our loneliest. And when you and I are searching for hope amidst the darkness and the confusion of the enemy's attacks, what we're often longing for in those moments is a kind of hope that, that promises shelter in our loneliest and most vulnerable moments. Do you find that to be true? Do you find that to be true in, in those moments of loneliness, those moments of vulnerability, those moments of feeling broken and alone? that in those moments, what you're actually longing for is shelter, safety from the storm. If you look at verse 3, the psalmist shifts gears a little bit and he becomes prayerful. He approaches God in prayer as he asks for the light and the truth of God's presence to lead him and to guide him through this dark and confusing season. He literally asks God to lead him out of the darkness, right? 
Lead me out of the darkness. Lead me out of the confusion of my enemy's attacks and lead me into the presence of God on his holy hill and in his dwelling place or home. Fascinating language. Up high on the hill, above all of the chaos. Or in the home of the one who has dispelled the chaos. You ever had an experience in your life where you felt so scared and so confused by the darkness that has surrounded you that you just wish you could find the comfort of the presence of a close friend? Maybe you've experienced that kind of close friend. Maybe their home or the space that they have set up and you've, you, you want to run to that place. That longing for the safety of close friendship, what it really is, it is an indicator of our deeper heart's desire to be in the safety of God's presence. The deepest heart's desire that you and I have is to be in the presence of someone who will never fail us, someone who will never reject us, someone who will never forsake us or leave us. That's, that's our deepest when you and I are searching for hope amidst the darkness, amidst the confusion of enemy attacks, what we're often longing for is the kind of hope that promises and follows through on that promise the faithful and eternal presence of a God is friend. Something refreshing about knowing that God, the creator of the universe, the one who in one sense sits high above, separated from all things and distant from all things, in one sense because of his holiness and his righteousness, and yet, because of the work of Jesus at the cross, draws close to sinners, and under the shed blood and broken body of Jesus declares, you're clean, you're my friend my son, you're my daughter, and I want to be with you, and I delight in you. That's what we often long for. The kind of hope that not only promises, but delivers on that promise of faithful, eternal presence of the God who is the friend. If you look at verse 4, our psalmist basically continues to dream continues to dream about being in that perfect presence of the living God. And what he does is he expresses just how overwhelmingly joyful it would make him to be with God, praising Him at the altar of worship. See, the excitement and, and the joy that you and I feel when, you're, when you and I are maybe getting close to visit with an old friend or a, or a family member or a significant other or a, maybe a soon-to-be significant other. That, that, that kind of tingling in your stomach, you know, that, that excitement, nervousness that you feel. Similar. A similar sense. Albeit it's definitely far less. But it's similar to the immense joy that you and I can find in God's presence. Do you know what it's like to practice the presence of God? 
Just practice going to your good Father on the daily. And if you don't know what that's like, I would, I would invite you, encourage you, get there. But going and pursuing God, the God who has pursued you in the work of His crucified, risen, and returning Son, pursuing Him in the reading of Scriptures daily, in times in prayer daily, times in worship daily, even in times of regular fasting. Pursuing the presence of God is like none other. It's in that place where you would find an exceeding joy that would far surpass all of the momentary happiness that this world has to offer us. When you and I are searching for hope, Amidst the darkness and the confusion of the enemy's attacks, here's what we're often longing for. We're often longing for the kind of hope that promises overwhelming joy in the presence of God as we praise Him for who He is and what He's done. Finally, in verse 5, our psalmist basically returns to the refrain of Psalm 42, verses 5 and 11. It's that exact carbon copy. And what he does in this final verse, in verse 5, is he cross-examines the condition of his soul. And he does it by asking that question, hey, why am I a wreck? And then as he contemplates that question, he preaches to his soul and he says this, in essence, he says, hey, why am I a wreck? Put your hope in God. He's the foundation of my salvation. And I'll soon be praising him. It's like the journey that the psalmist takes us on here is through all these different ripples and waves, and he lands right at the topic of God as our rescuer. As our psalmist searches for hope amidst the darkness, what he does is he literally finds exactly what he's looking for in the presence of his saving God, in the presence of his God as his rescuer. You think of all sorts of imagery that we live with on a daily basis, whether it be a fireman or a police officer or you know, an EMT or a nurse or a doctor. Right? Or Superman or Spider Man. We live with these images in our culture. Why? Because there's something deep inside of us that's been placed there from creation that causes us to long to be rescued. That's why heroes uh, draw an emotional reaction out of us. We want to be rescued deep down inside. And as our psalmist searches for hope amidst the darkness, he literally finds what he's been looking for in the presence of his saving God, his rescuer. So when you and I are searching for hope amidst the darkness and the confusion of the enemy's attacks, what we're often longing for is this kind of hope that actually promises and delivers eternal salvation from all that is broken and evil 
not just in this world, but lives within us. We're asking to be rescued from that. You think about the, the psalmist's enemy in our text. doesn't necessarily name him or her or them. Um, group of people. doesn't necessarily name who it is. But we do know this about the psalmist's enemy. Think about this with me for a moment. The psalmist's enemy is ungodly. The psalmist's enemy is evil. The psalmist's enemy is a liar. He's an oppressive enemy who hates what is right, and his unrelenting oppressive presence has caused our psalmist to grope around in the confusion of the darkness for what? For an ounce of hope. He knows that his enemy is prowling around like a lion, seeking to devour every last ounce of hope he has, like he's trying to squeeze him out like a sponge. So what does the psalmist do? As we've looked at it, we see the psalmist makes his way to the God of his salvation. He begs God, prove me blameless. Defend me against my enemy. Deliver me from the darkness. Shelter me from the hellfire that's raining down upon me. Give me a glimmer of light. Give me, give me, give me just a little bit of truth to lead me into your presence, God. Because there is where I know that I'm going to find joy that will once again overflow from the fountain of true hope as I enjoy your presence. Your presence, the God who is the friend of sinners. Hey. Question is, do you know what it's like to find that kind of hope? Do you know what it's like to find true hope as you fumble around the darkness? As you face the confusion of your enemy's attacks? Because there is a place where you and I can find that hope in the darkness, that hope in the confusion of the enemy's attacks. And the place where we find it, the place where you find true hope in the darkness, amidst the confusion, is at the foot of the bloody cross, at the doorway of an empty tomb, it's in the light of the promise of heaven. It's all of the hope that we need to make it through the darkness, to make it through the confusion, of our enemy's attacks is found in the, the person and the work of our crucified, risen, and returning Savior. You think about your enemy. Think about our enemy. Our enemy will stop at nothing to steal our hope. Our enemy will stop at nothing to feed us tidbits of imitation hope, momentary hope, momentary that will fade, worldly hope in all of our pursuits and our accomplishments. Those things promise pleasure amidst the pain. They, they promise acceptance amidst the rejection. They, they promise control amidst the chaos of this world in the midst of our lives. And the reality is this. Our spiritual enemies, Satan, sin, death, they are the forces behind any of the physical enemies we have. You look at Ephesians 6, and that's what you find. Back to the statement that life is war. Whether it's a broken marriage, or a lost job, or a failed friendship, or a deadly health issue, 
a traumatic experience of some kind, the temptations that you can't seem to resist any longer. All of our physical struggle is tied to our invisible enemies. Think about our enemy, right? Satan, sin, death. Satan, what does he do? Satan condemns. Not good enough. You're unworthy. He coerces. Wouldn't you like this? This would be so much better for you. He condemns, he coerces, he shames, he guilts, he deceives. He leads us into darkness. The Scriptures teach us that Satan is a liar and he's the father of all lies and no truth is in him whatsoever. Mean he believes his own rhetoric. So good at it. He's the worst pathological liar you could ever find. Condemns, coerces, shames, guilts, deceives, leads into darkness. Think about sin. Satan's in death, right? Sin, what does sin do? Sin tempts. This would give you lots of pleasure. This would make you feel happy right now. Tempts. Sin offers hollow promises. Sin enslaves us. Once you get into it, you're addicted. People think of addiction. People think of drugs and alcohol or porn addiction or those kinds of things. And the reality is sin is simply addiction. It's just that we put a different name on it. We've called it addiction. <laughs> it's a vicious cycle. Sin. Feel guilty. God, I messed that up. Feel ashamed. Oh, I am a mess up. Now your heart longs. Feel better. And so what do you do? Sin again. Go sin, guilt, shame, sin, guilt, shame. It's a cycle. It's a vicious, that's addiction in, in a nutshell. Of course, what we need to be set free. It's to, it's to trust in God by faith and to be set free from the presence, penalty, power, of that sin, and then to repent, and then to live in freedom some more. So it's like trust by faith, repent, walk by faith in freedom, and continue to repent. And it, that becomes the new cycle. At times you get out of that cycle and you go back to your old cycle. <laughs> you got to jump back out of that into this new, and, and, get it? That's the new life and the old life. You're constantly trying to shrug off that old cycle and put on this new clothing, to speak. To walk in the way that God has created us and saved us to be. So you got Satan, you got sin, right? Again, sin tempts, offers hollow promises, and slaves hardens our hearts. What about death? What does death do? A friend of mine who pastors a church in Kearney, and we, we pray for him often here, his name is Spencer. Um... Just took much-needed vacation with his family, some of his extended family as well. And uh, they, I think they went to Disney, something or another, in Hawaii. I don't know whether it's World or, or Disney World or Disney theme park, whatever it is. They went there, whole family, came back. And uh, I think it's one of, he's got a couple of sisters older than him. 
sister in her 30s, I think 36 maybe, or something, somewhere in that age range, comes back and had been dealing with some headaches, got two little kids and a husband, and uh, come to find out there was a massive tumor on her brain, and she basically was gone in about four days, four or five days. And he's, I mean, he's a pastor, right? Just as human as anybody else is. Talked to him on the phone the other day, and he said, I just, I can't believe it. The worst thing for me is I'm not sure that she's a believer. That's a hard thing to walk under. He says, I can't believe it. Just just a, a week ago, we were enjoying the sandy beach together, and today she's gone. And I'm looking in the eyes of her, her little kids and saying, died. Death came for her. That's usually how we experience death, right? When death comes to our doorstep, it taunts us. It terrifies us, it weakens us, it confuses us, and ultimately it seeks to silence our hope. It seeks to get you and I to think that that's the end. So when our enemies level a full frontal attack against us, right? When Satan, sin, and death come and knock us on the ground Leave us on our knees in darkness. Leave us in the midst of confusion. Dark clouds of oppression. Our hearts in those moments become like sponges. Or you might think like a piece of pulverized meat. Right? Take a steak and you hammer the crap out of it. Now it's good enough. It's tenderized. It can hold some seasoning. Succulent. Tasty and good. Yes, I'm a foodie. It's okay. And it shows. Like a sponge. Really, really dried out and ready to soak up anything around it. In those moments of hardship, in these moments when darkness and confusion set into your life, you become like that sponge, looking to soak up any ounce of hope you can find. And in those moments, what you and I will long for is the kind of hope that will promise us Full vindication. You are blameless, clean, justified, accepted completely. In those moments, you're going to soak up. You're, you're longing for full protection, full deliverance. In those moments, you're going to long for shelter. You're going you're to long to come into the presence of a God who is the friend of sinners, who will never leave you, never forsake you. You're going to long to be filled with overflowing true joy, not the momentary thing that you and I have been addicted to our entire lives. You're going to long for the kind of salvation that will put an end to all that is broken and all that is evil within you and within this world that we are just merely traveling through. Thanks be to God. We have a Savior. We have a Savior named Jesus who demonstrated that absolutely nothing can stop him from coming through on his promises. And we can hope in Christ Jesus for all that our hearts long for. And when, when God promises to crush the head of Satan, he does it with a cross and an empty tomb and the promise of eternity in heaven. When God promises to deal with the penalty and the power and the presence of sin, He does it with a cross. He does it with an empty tomb. And He does it with the promise of eternity in heaven. When God 
promises to make death look like nothing more than a doorway into His eternal presence, how does He do it? Cross. Empty tomb. Promise of heaven. Conclusion. Friends. If you feel like you're barely getting by, feel like you've been groping around in the darkness amidst the confusion of our enemy's full frontal attack. And you can find the hope that you've been longing for in the light and the truth of the gospel of our crucified, risen, returning Savior. At the cross, what did Jesus declare? At the cross, Jesus declared, it is finished. All of the work that needed to be done to cleanse you from the sin that lives within you and has power over you, all the work that needed to be done to cleanse you from that and, 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 and remove you from its power and its penalty was done at the cross, whereby what you and I hear is the words that the psalmist wants to hear in vindication when we listen to Romans 8.1. And God says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, the bloody cross of Jesus, that's where you and I will find the kind of authentic hope that promises and delivers these things. Full vindication. Full protection. Full deliverance. Safe shelter. Eternal friendship with the friend of sinners true and abiding joy that will stick with you in the hardest and the darkest of times. And not only that, but you will also gain the assurance of salvation. You'll gain in those moments at that bloody cross what you gain. It's a rock-solid assurance that you belong to the Creator of the universe who sent His Son to die for you. That's if you've trusted in Jesus and are actively repenting of your sin. Think about the empty tomb for a moment. At the empty tomb, what do we hear? At the empty tomb, when those who humanly walked with Jesus went to visit His grave, like we often do, our loved ones who have died. They're mourning They show up at the tomb, and what was declared? The angels at the tomb declared, He is not here. He's risen. All the work. All the work that needed to be done to give you safe passage through the doorway of death was accomplished when the stone was rolled away and our Savior rose in victory over our enemies once and for all. Once and for all. In those moments, Jesus crushed death under His resurrected feet. The victorious empty tomb of Jesus. That is where we find the kind of authentic hope 
that not only promises, but also delivers on that promise. That we too will rise from death fully vindicated. Brand new white robes of glory no longer marred because of sin. Fully protected. Fully delivered. Completely safe in the shelter of our risen Savior. Living for all eternity in the presence of the best friend you could ever have. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. You'll never have a moment where you wake up in the morning and say, I'm alone. My mom or my dad or my friend or my spouse left me. In those moments, you'd be filled with a true and abiding joy that all the momentary pleasures of this world fall terribly short. That abiding joy is going to flow out of something in those moments because in those moments, you'd be fully assured, fully assured once and for all of your completed salvation. Though on, on this earth, as we travel through this world, like pilgrims, carrying all sorts of baggage over our shoulders, we question that assurance. There will be a time in the resurrection when we will be completely and fully assured once and for all. Finally, in the promise of heaven, Jesus declares that He will return He's going to return as a rider on a horse with lightning bolts coming out of his eyes, got a sword coming out of his mouth, got clothes drenched in the blood of the saints who were slain, got a tattoo on his leg proclaiming that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In the return of Jesus, what you and I have is the hope of heaven where all our enemies have been dealt with for all of eternity and we get to enjoy the presence of our saving God where there's no more mourning, no more tears, no more sin, no more death, no more sickness, no more rejection, no more betrayal, etc., etc., etc. The promised return of Jesus is where we find the kind of authentic hope that promises complete vindication, complete protection. Because in that return of Jesus, it is completed, it's done. The words echoing from the cross, it is finished, when he claimed, salvation done. Those same echoed words, I believe, will happen in the return of Jesus. Is in those moments, all that he said in emotion is once and for all complete. Complete deliverance, complete safety in the shelter of the Most High, complete friendship with the lover of our souls, complete joy that can never be tampered with again. Complete salvation from all the effects of Satan, sin, and death. Listen, if you've been fumbling around in the darkness, you've been fumbling around in the confusion of the attacks of Satan, sin, and death on you or on your family, this is war. And this is an air war. I pray that the words you've heard this morning would affect you, would give you a sliver of hope the light and the truth of the gospel of our crucified, risen, and returning Savior. Why? Because our only hope is found in the God who vindicates, defends, delivers, shelters, befriends, leads us into the light, the 
the truth of his presence, so that we might then praise him everlasting joy as our rescuer, our savior. If you walked in here in the darkness, then I pray that you walk out in the light of the truth of the gospel. Because in Christ alone is where you'll find vindication, protection, deliverance, shelter, friendship, joy, salvation. Amen? Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. For the message of the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he was crucified on our behalf. Thank you that his body was broken and his blood was shed. Such a horrible and just a horrific way. He took our place on that cross. And not only that, but that he left the tomb empty three days later. Give us victory over Satan, sin, and death as well. And then we do have the hope of eternity with you. God, pray that, uh, pray that you would return hope to those that are feeling hopeless this morning. Trust you to do that in Jesus' name. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.